Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Let's get into the Word this morning. Man, I've got some time this morning. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach two messages. uh, I did want to mention real quick here before we get into what I want to speak on, I'm going to try to wrap up a, a series we've been doing that went way back and before, you know, we had... Paul and, and uh, we, I was in Korea, and so we had a lot of things going on, and, uh, but I want to pick back up and do one more installment on our discipleship series and uh, kind of wrap that up. But before we get into that, I just want to make a few comments on our service last week. How many of you were here last Sunday morning? Raise your hand. Yeah, it, it, uh, those of you that were not... Uh, I'd say watch, you know, there, there's, there's a video, there's a podcast. I don't know that you'll get the full impact watching a video or listening to a podcast. And I don't know what all of you experienced last Sunday morning, but uh, man, the Lord really rocked me. I know that. And uh, what I was really sensing as I was processing what happened, it was interesting. You know, I had shared the previous week on Easter about the, one of the services in Korea where it was the Spirit of God just came in such a profound way, and, and I just remember not wanting to move. I didn't want to tamper. I didn't want to touch, with any, touch anything in the service. I just wanted God to move. You know, I knew the Lord had it, and I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to tarnish it. And there was just this, this holy awe that came in the room, and God really touched a number of those precious Presbyterian South Koreans and North Koreans, and uh, many of them just began to hit the floor, just, you know... No one praying for them. Man, they hit that wooden floor and thud, 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 thud around the room. And, and uh, God just moved in power. And I had that same sense last Sunday morning. And as I processed that service in South Korea, it wasn't until after the fact that I realized that was a commissioning service. That the Lord was commissioning people and He was going to send them back in. And this was a group of people that were going into uh, closed nations, communist nations that... Uh, at risk of their own lives, and, and that's what I was sensing, and uh, I sensed the same thing last week, that God was commissioning a number of us, and, uh, but what that demanded of us was a response, an answer to the Lord. Uh, there are things that the Lord wants to release to us that aren't just going to happen, that it's going to take a stepping up and a, a surrender to what He's doing. And I believe that there is a fresh call to go out that's on the horizon. And uh, many of you that don't even realize it, God's going to begin to stir you and you're going to be going out doing things you've never done before. And uh, it's going to be a time of outside the walls of the church. And, uh, you know, as, as Paul and I, Paul Yadaw and I went over to Amani Sunday night, he ministered, we had a wonderful time. And on the way back, I said, I shared with him about the service in Korea and I said, Paul, I sensed the same thing in the service this morning, and I, I don't know what to make of that. I said, what, I want to get your read on it. What do you think? I said, do you think it's just a coincidence that it was two services, two different continents, and uh, two different groups of people, but the same sense in the air? Do you think it's a coincidence that God was just doing that same thing in two different places, or are we entering a new season? And he said, in his opinion, undeniably, it's a new season. He said, I'm running into this across the nations 
that there's the last season was climb up into Papa's lap, learn the Papa's, learn the Father's love, learn intimacy with the Father, being reconciled to the Father, the children of God. But this is a season of sons of God. This is a season where we're going to be released out to go do the Father's work. And there was an intense fire here last Sunday morning. Uh, I don't know what you experienced, but I'm telling you, I, at one point I had to grab the pulpit because I was getting a little woozy up here and I had a little hard time walking down from here. And uh, it was just very intense, but there was the fire of God was being released. And uh, I was reminded of that passage where uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, where he was, he was encountering the Lord and the, uh, the, the coal off the altar touched his lips and the very next question was, who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. And often when the Lord begins to move, when, he, we, when there's fresh impetus outside the walls, it starts with purity and then releases passion to go out and do the work of ministry. And there's, there's a purity move afoot, but that's not the end. That is the beginning. It's a means to an end. And the end is the purposes of our Father. And we've had a, a long season, some 20 years in the body of Christ, of God's pouring out the Father's love. But the love of God in Scripture always has three facets to it. It starts with God's love for us, and we encounter His love. And that's where it begins. That is the foundation of everything that we have with God starts with God's love for us. And that sparks a corresponding reciprocal love for Him. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. But we don't love Him until we have a re revelation of His love for us. And so God will come to His people and reveal His great love. And often, before we're even right with Him, and it's that very encounter with His love that ignites a corresponding, even involuntary love for Him. That we can't help ourselves because we've encountered Him. And so it starts that love back. And so the love of God in Scripture is the love of God, God's love for us as the object. But the love of God is also, and every passage that speaks of the love of God has these three facets to it, and you can read them from any one of these three angles. There's the love of God, the love of God coming to us, we're the object of His affection. And we soak it up and it's glorious, and that is where our identity comes from. You are a beloved of God, you, and it changes the way you see yourself. But that's only foundational, that's the first step, it's not the end. The second step, it ignites within us the love of God. It's a love within us for God as the object of our affection. And we're consumed with the love of God. It ignites a passion within us. We love Him and we want to serve Him. We want to lay our life down for Him. We want to do what pleases Him. But that's not the end. That's simply stage two. The third step is that we begin to love what He loves. It's not just that He becomes the object of our affection. We begin to share His desires. And the objects of His affection become the object of our affection. And it's the love of God through us. We no longer are necessarily the object in this sense. I mean, that we never move from there. But that's not where we live as a reference point. It's not us as the object or even God as the object. But we're picking up his desire and others are the object and we become the vehicle of His love through us towards others. And we live in these three tenses of the love of God. But it starts over here and the sad fact is there's some people that never get beyond this. 
They never move beyond themselves being the object of God's affection. And although that is a wonderful truth, it's not the whole truth. And it will keep you immature if you never move from just being the object of His affection. And God wants us to move where He becomes the object of our affection. And we burn with a passion for Him. And that causes us to grow up because all of a sudden we are sacrificing because of our love for Him. The very word passion literally means to suffer. Because we're passionate, we're willing to suffer for the object of our affection. Because we want to please Him, we're willing to do without certain things that before would have been non-negotiable for us. Passion is ignited in our heart. But real maturing love, we move into laying our life down for His purposes. And we become the vehicle of love towards others. And we become the vehicle, the, the, the deliverer, so to speak, of the love of God for others that are on this first stage. That we begin to be the expression of God towards them and they are the object of His affection. And how do they know that? Because of what they receive through us. And so there's this maturing of love that happens. And I'm telling you, there's a, there is a moving from stage two to stage three that God is releasing upon the revival stream within the body of Christ. The last 20-some years of this revival stream, the last wave, the last global move of God, I'm talking a global outpouring that happened in the mid-90s and, and created hot spots like Toronto, Canada and Brownsville, Florida and, and uh, you know, uh, all, over the, all over the world. And China broke out and at, uh, there, there were places it was breaking out all over the world that they had no communications with each other because God was invading with a fresh wave. And the flavor of that thing was the Father's love. In, in Pensacola, it was called the Father's blessing. It broke out on Father's Day in Pensacola. And the emphasis has been the Father's love. But now it's going to be the Father's work in taking that love to the world. And so God came last week with a coal of fire. And, and I'm telling you that what, we've, what we experienced is a precursor, is a token of what's to come. There's, there, there's on the near horizon, God's going to begin to release fire on people. And it's going to revolutionize and it's going to become the hinge upon their, which their life swings. They're going to begin to refer to it as before that encounter and after that encounter. And that will be the reference point for their lives. Before the fire touched me and after the fire touched me. But when it came last week and when we had a taste of that, the reason it felt like it did was because with that fire, that fire is first of all a purifying fire. You know, we love the fire of God and we talk about the fire of God. And, you know, whenever I go preach in another nation, the first words I learn uh, it, in, in, uh, in Latin American countries and Spanish speaking countries, it's mas fuego, more fire. In Portuguese, it's mais fogo. I, always, I, I don't remember what it was in Korean, but I did learn it. Uh, because I wanted to learn these phrases because I want to release the fire of God on people. But when we talk about the fire of God, we usually think of the after effects and not the initial wave. The after effects is we have people who are lit. They are on fire for God. But the fire of God that makes us passionate and zealous and bold as lions first and foremost, makes us purified. 
When Jesus told about the coming fire, or rather John the Baptist, his cousin, told of Jesus bringing the coming fire. You can find this in Luke chapter 3. Jesus announces his cousin's arrival. John announces his cousin's arrival. I'm going to have to bear with me here. John announces Jesus' arrival and he says to them, he says, the one coming after me, the one whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He said, what I do with water, he will do with the Holy Ghost and fire. And so he gives us this picture and really John's water baptism, there was a, it was a prophetic act in the sense it were at least a reality in the moment but it also announced a reality that was coming. And so prophecy is more than symbolic. You know, uh, symbolic acts symbolize some reality. Prophetic acts release the reality. And John's baptism in water was releasing a reality on them, but, but it was a baptism of repentance. It wasn't the full baptism of Christian faith that was to come that we see in Romans chapter 6. Nor was it the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire that he was referring to that Jesus would bring. But John uses his water baptism as a symbolic or a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do with both the Holy Spirit and fire. Now you need to understand the contexts context of John's comments when he said the one coming after me what I do with water I I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire what he he just had a living illustration he would take these people lure them into the Jordan River and he would baptize them in water and they would go down and come up out of the water now if I was very creative I would have a video up here of somebody coming out of the water and it would be in slow-mo with some light behind it and you'd see all the water splashing but they come up and they're drenched you don't get submerged that's why I don't believe in just sprinkling I don't need a sprinkling of fire I need to be submerged in fire I need to be saturated and they come up and they were dripping they were soaked They were saturated with water. And then John pauses and he announces Jesus. And he said, look, what I just did to this gentleman, to this woman with water, the one coming after me will do with the Holy Ghost and fire. And so we're to come up dripping with the fire of God. I mean, picture that. I mean, we we like the symbolism, but that's that's a scary picture. And then he adds this. And he says, And his winnowing fork is already in his hand. And he will uh, divide the chaff from the grain and, and burn it up with unquenchable fire. So John says, What I did with water, Jesus will do with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then he says that Jesus already has a winnowing fork in his hand. And he said he's going to separate the chaff from the grain and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Clearly a reference to the fire that Jesus would baptize us with. What is he talking about? 
And it's important we realize this because often when we talk about fire, we talk about it as somebody who is zealous and passionate. And that is the end result of a baptism of fire if they endure the flame properly. Because you can go through the fire and not come out on fire. And so, how do, what, what, did, what was John speaking of? What was this symbolism? What was this analogy? What was he referring to? He was referring to very common agricultural practice that all his audience would have understood. A winnowing fork was literally a pitchfork made of, of branches. It would, they would find a branch that had it, the wood structure would be such that they could pick up grain and throw it. And so they would throw it and they would have a threshing floor. And John refers to all of this in that passage, in this introduction of Jesus and what he's going to do with the Holy Ghost and fire. So there's a winning fork, which is a pitchfork. And it says he'll put it on his threshing floor and he'll separate the grain from the chaff. A threshing floor was the highest point in a harvest field. They would, if, if there was a man who had a vast owner, you know, vast lands, he may have several threshing floors, but they would always choose the high points in their fields, and there was a reason for that, because they wanted to catch the wind. Because the purpose was, it wasn't good enough just to harvest the grain. They had to separate the grain and remove that which is unusable, unproductive, unusable to feed people, from that which was usable to feed people. And they did that on a threshing floor with a winnowing fork and the wind and the fire. And the picture here is this. God is not interested in merely harvesting your soul for heaven. It's not good enough that we're heading to heaven. That's a done deal. That's great. You're, you're saved. You're going to heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But God's interest, His burning interest, the fire in His eyes is to release the fire on you to remove that which is unusable so that all that remains is that which is usable. Because He wants to spend you well in this life. He has a purpose in life for you, not just a destination in the afterlife. And the first stage of that is to release the fire from his eyes on your life to, to burn up the chaff. So what they would do is they would harvest grain and then they would take that grain and they would drag all the grain onto the threshing floor, the high point in the field. And that high point of the field, if it didn't have natural clay that they could stamp down, they would add clay and they would make this almost like a, like a, a, a concrete base. They would put a clay down and they would go over it and tamp it down so that it was a hard base and they would throw the, the, all the grain on it and then they would take a threshing wheel. A heavy stone wheel, almost like a, it would look like a little Fred Flintstone car, for those of you that remember Fred Flintstone. You know, the big round wheel, and they would roll it over it because there was the grain, but it, uh, around the grain was this husk, this chaff that was keeping that which was usable from being usable. It was stuck inside this hard shell. So this is the process that John is referring to. And he says, the one that's coming after me is going to, take, is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now we don't usually talk about this aspect of the baptism in the Holy Ghost. But it is an absolutely necessary aspect 
of a teaching on the baptism. Matter of fact, there's the, the holiness movement, you know, like uh, the, the, uh, the Nazarenes and, and uh, many of the holiness Pentecostals. It, in, in preceding the Pentecostal movement in the early 1900s was the holiness revival that was really launched by John and Charles Wesley. The Methodism revival. And they had this belief in sanctification. And they believed the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a purifying thing. That he came to make us pure. And therefore, their allusions to that would be things of wrestling through and getting sanctified. And they would talk about, I've been saved and I've been sanctified. They looked at it as an event, an, ex- an encounter. Just like salvation, I had this event of salvation. I was no- wasn't born again and I crossed over the line and now I'm born again. And then I'm moving along in my walk with God and I lay hold and I pray through. And now I'm sanctified And on the other side. And it was an event and I no longer struggle with those besetting sins and it was a theological statement of sanctification and then out of that came the modern day Pentecostal movement out of which came uh, you know not only all the non-denominational churches and really and some of them were affected by the next wave the charismatic movement but out of them came this first wave the Pentecostal movement came the assemblies of God the open Bible the church of God the church of God in Christ and, and, and Foursquare movement, and many others of these Pentecostal denominations. And they split like a fork in the road on this doctrine. It's not a big deal. Probably some of you are like, Pastor, why are you even telling this? Because I'm interested in this stuff. I like theology. Okay, there was a fork in the road theologically, and movement split one way or the other on this doctrine. Really, three ways. Some said the baptism in the Holy Spirit as known in the book of Acts, chapter 2, is no longer for today, and they went off this way. But those who embraced it as an experience went to a fork in the road, and they, they believed two different things. Some believed there were three works of grace, and like the Church of God in Christ, a largely African-American um, Pentecostal denomination. It, it, at least 30 years ago, it was the largest in the, in the world. I, the Assemblies, of, I think, has uh, grown beyond that, but, or I think it was the biggest in the United States. I, I believe maybe the Assemblies is bigger now, I don't know. But anyways, there, if you go to their churches, and during testimony time, you'll hear this. Yep, that, that's how they'll, they'll say, I'm, I'm Amy. And I'm saved, sanctified, and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And that's cultural because it's part of their movement, but it's also a doctrinal statement because they believe in three works of grace. I got saved, I got sanctified, but I still need baptized in the Holy Ghost. The assemblies, the open Bible, the Foursquare, many of those movements diverged and they wed those two things together. And so they believe in what is known as progressive sanctification. They believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is an encounter of holiness, but it's progressive, so it's not an event. And so they would say, you're saved and you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that is an event, but your sanctification or being made holy takes takes place over time. Now, which is true? Uh Uh-huh. As your faith is, so be it unto you. I'm telling you what, I've gone into some holiness wrestlings with God, and I've told the Lord, I am not getting off this floor until you change me. And there were times, especially early in my Christian life, there were a number of times I was on that floor for hours, pulling up carpet, pulling out my hair, wrestling, crying, pounding the floor saying, God, you've got to change me. And I'm telling I had encounters with God in that, and I got up different. 
It was an event. And the issue I was struggling with before that wrestling match that I lost and therefore won, <laughs> uh, I was different. But there's other things that it's been progressive. Just ask my family. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a, an event. They've prayed for that, but it just hasn't happened yet. You know, I'm getting better. And so there's reality to both of them. But I'm telling you, those of us who are in this, this progressive sanctification camp need to get a vision for this, that you can lay hold of God and say, God, I need a breakthrough in this area. I've got temptation in this area. I've got this, this, this thing in my life that I want deliverance from. And if you will lay hold of the horns of the altar, as the old holiness people used to say, you're, you can get a breakthrough. You can be sanctified. Now, why do I bring all that up? Because what John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3 really fits very well with this holiness perspective theologically. That Jesus will give you a baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. And very clearly in that passage, what John the Baptist is referring to is a baptism, a purifying fire that will come on your life and burn out the chaff. That's what he's talking about. It's not talking about raising up zealous preachers. It's talking about the fire of God burning through us so we are pure. And on the front end of every move of God, this fire precedes it. It's like the fire before his throne as the throne comes close. We come into the fire. And if you will endure the fire and let it do its work and humble yourself, then when the fire passes, you come out the other side and you are on fire. You're like the bush that burns but is not consumed. And then we can be used of God. What they would do with this, this grain, they would crush it, it would break the husk, and then they would get the winnowing fork. And John said, Jesus' winnowing fork is already in his hand. It means he's eager to purify you. When he looks at you, he sees your end game potential. He is zealously after what he put within you. The, the grain deep within you. That which is usable for his kingdom. And he's looking beyond that outer husk that must go. But if we are into protecting the outer husk and denying our issues, we will disqualify ourselves. And so we need to yield. Uh, Dennis Jernigan, anybody know who Dennis Jernigan is? He had this wonderful song, uh, and it was from Luke chapter 3. He said, I will, I will uh, put my face to the wind. I'll let it blow through me. It was, it was poetic. It rhymed, rhymed my memory. It doesn't rhyme. but it, uh, it, you know, He was talking about putting our face to the wind. The picture is they would take that winnowing fork after it was crushed and the husk was broken over. They would begin to throw that grain up in the air and they would do it on a windy day and the wind would catch it and the husk was fluff. It was lighter than the grain. The grain was weighty. It would had substance to it. And so the grain would fall and the chaff would be caught by the wind and they would be separated through the wind. Now think about when Jesus told his disciples, tarry until you be endued with power from on high. So what do they do? They go into the upper room, the high place in the harvest field. And what comes in? The sound of a mighty wind and tongues of fire. 
And it's that, and there's so many allusions tied into the Old Testament. Isaiah has his lips touched, and he said, here am I, send me. And we know that one facet, and I say one facet because many of us came from a background where we thought it was the only facet. One facet of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is we're endued with power to be witnesses. We're made bold by the Spirit of God. It's a baptism of love that causes us to have no fear because love casts out fear and our love for others overcomes that fear to to reach them with the gospel. It's the power of God coming on us. One facet of that is that boldness. Well, what did Isaiah say? The, 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 The coal touched his lips and he said, he said, here am I, send me. It was, a, it was going to be sent out to be the voice of the Lord. It was fire on his lips. In Acts 2, it's tongues of fire landing on their heads and they were given new languages. And the illusions tying it in with all this are profound. The baptism of the Spirit is to send us out, but it's also to purify us within. It's power to be a witness externally, but it's power to live purely internally. That's why Romans chapter 8, it said, by His Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. If you struggle with besetting sin, you know what you need? You need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. You need a fresh encounter with God. The fire of God to come on you to begin to purify your life. And God desires to do that. And so they would take this grain and they would throw it up in the air and the wind would catch it and it would separate it. And most farmers were satisfied with that. But not the Lord of the harvest, King Jesus. Because John tells us that our Lord takes it a step further. As a farmer who is out to harvest all that he has placed, planted, and seed form within us, he said he's going to take the chaff after it's separated and he's going to bundle it up and he's going to burn it up with unquenchable fire. That's pretty intense. I mean, come on, Jesus, we already separated. We're not going to have chaff in our bread. I don't care. I'm going to burn it up with unquenchable fire. We have a Lord who is zealous. He has fire in his eyes. And I felt it last week. I don't know what you felt, but I, I saw the Lord, and he, he was standing in front of each one of us, peering into our heart, looking, searching our heart for the answer. Will you step up and accept this call? Will you now take responsibility for the fruit of the last season's intimacy? I'll try not to be graphic here, but I felt very strongly these thoughts flooding my mind as I stood here in the presence of God last Sunday. And and the, the picture was of a married couple that before they have kids, they talk about the pre kids years. Pre kids years, that's an awesome time in marriage, man. It's just you, you know, it's all about you and her, man. And all of a sudden, that results in a baby. And that changes everything, you know. And the husband who used to be the, feel like he was the center, he's been replaced, you know. And then there, you know, so. And that's what I felt. It's like, okay, I've been loving on you. Now, what has been produced between our intimacy is about ready to land. 
Will you say yes, or am I going to have to find adoptive parents to raise what you produced? Will you step up and say, Lord, I'll take responsibility for this thing. And I felt the Lord standing and just searching our hearts. What will you do with what I'm offering you? And I saw this, this silver tray, and he stood before us, and I saw this. It was just a, it was a, an ornate block, but I knew it was an offering. And what he told me is, you've offered me your praise. Now I have an offering for you. I'm offering you opportunities, resources. I'm offering you to partner with me in my purposes. But it's going to take a yes. It's not just going to happen. He's not going to release that to us unless we say, yes, Lord, and bend our neck. And it is not a coincidence that the simultaneous feeling, when we were, what we were feeling in this room, was the holy awe of God. And a, a mixture of the fear of the Lord. Why? Because God cannot release what He wants to release to a people who do not have a healthy fear and a healthy purity in their lives. Proximity demands purity. The closer you get, the more pure you need to be. You say, well, no, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, I don't know. I, I think that smacks of works and trying to make ourselves better. Aren't we made holy in salvation? Yes, we are. And there's one sense in which you will never be more holy than the moment you got saved. It's a finished work. You are holy. But that is your legal position in the Spirit. Your legal position is you are made holy. But there's also another element, another facet, another component that God is concerned with, and that is your living condition on the earth. Your paperwork in heaven, when God pulls it out and the enemy stands before the, the throne and accuses you, God pulls out your paperwork and says, he's innocent. He's been found innocent. He is spotless. That's great. But on earth, what he's trying to do is bring your living condition up to your legal position. And that is being made holy. Matter of fact, there's this little interesting verse. I want to say it's in like chapter 5 of Hebrews. It said, those who have been, he said, God is perfecting those of us who has been made holy once and for all. That one verse deals with both perspectives, both facets. We're, we are holy and we're being made holy. And if we just camp out on this but ignore this and resist this, you will disqualify yourself from God's usefulness. And at best, you will sentence yourself to spiritual childhood. Where you remain the center of affection and it's all about you and you're not a producer, you're not a contributor. You're simply, you eat the food at the Father's table because you're one of His. And that may feel okay here. Well, that may feel okay here, but when you get to heaven, it won't feel okay. Because your crown will be based on the other facet. Have you produced fruit? And my sense is, just like a mother eagle, when she wants her children to fly, she babies them. She, she has these eagle feathers. I mean, they got a pretty... You ever seen an eagle nest? I mean, they're like a king-size bed, man. They're full of not goose down or eagle down. I mean, this is a pretty nice pad. 
and mom just goes out and gets fresh meat and flies and, and the baby just sit there drops it in and goes get more I mean that's a pretty good deal isn't it you, know, you just sit around in your big old feather bed all day and open your mouth and get fed and that's where God begins us right when we get saved we're on our feather bed and he's always feeding us but there comes a stage in our development where the eagles, the eagles begin to remove the feathers. And all of a sudden, it's just kind of branches to lay on. It's like, oh, we need a new mattress. You know, we need to, you know, it's, it's like having the hubbies, huffies come for dinner and tell you, you need a, it's a long story, inside story. But uh, I ended up, John, came, John and Emily came over for dinner and we ended up buying a new mattress because of his comments. So, I mean, it, it was only, we'd only had it for 20 years. And it was used when we got it, but you know, I, you know, I'm a cheapskate. So anyway, so I always got to brace myself, you know, get ready to spend if John comes over, so uh, or don't let him sit on it. But anyway, uh, the, the the eagles will remove those, and they'll be sitting on these branches, and they're poking, and it's uncomfortable. Why? Because they don't want them to stay at home anymore. It's time for them to grow up, and I'm telling you. God is about to remove some feathers from your nest. That's what you were feeling last week. It's time to grow up. You know what the eagles do next? They literally kick them out. They put them on their back. Oh, we're going to go for a ride. Oh, this is awesome. I've seen mom do this a million times. Whoa, 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 this is awesome. And all of a sudden mom dumps over. Ah! You know, it doesn't seem very loving. And just before they splat, <laughs> Catches them and takes them back up and keeps doing that till they begin to use those little pitiful wings and they begin to fly. And then they're, they can begin to feed themselves and be productive and produce their own. And we're in the season of God removing feathers from your nest. It's going to be fun, but it's time for us all to grow up. Do you remember the last time Bob Hazlett was here, his last Sunday morning service, Remember, several times he's preached, he said, I never want to preach this again. He said, I know this is God because I've never preached this and never want to. And essentially what he said was, maturity is the next revival. Maturity is the next move. God isn't interested in just having children. He had an only begotten son and he desires many sons. And sons in Scripture, the Greek word for sons is vastly different from the Greek word for children of God. Children of God have the nature of the Father. You check their genetic code, and they are related. But you got to sometimes get down to the microscopic level to even discover the relationship. When I got saved, believe me, you had to get down to the microscopic level to see I was even saved. His nature was in me, but it wasn't manifesting very well. Sons have the character of the Father. And there's a difference between having his nature and his character. Character is when his nature begins to overcome and take us over, and we become to express who he is, and that's what God's calling us to. And one of the ways in which he does that is he releases his fire over us. When God begins to move, he releases his fire. We were talking over the last number of weeks before we went into this time where we had, you know, some special speakers and I was gone. We've been talking about discipleship. 
and how God's goal is not just for us to be converts, but for us to be disciples, disciplined ones. He doesn't want just children. He wants sons and daughters. And we're called to go out and make disciples of all nations, not just converts. So the goal is maturity or discipleship or glory or holiness or maturity. There's all these terminology in the the New Testament. The process of getting us from conversion to that end goal of growing us up is called discipleship. It's a discipleship process. But on the journey of discipleship, we begin to bump into hindrances. You see, the life of God that is placed within us at conversion, when you are born again, literally the seed of God's nature is planted within your spirit, and your spirit is born again. But it's a baby. You are a baby Christian. And your spirit can barely make itself known. And your flesh is walking around like the 900-pound gorilla dragging your spirit behind it. I've told you, when I got saved... This, the, the lady that led me to the Lord gave me money for a Bible, and I went out and bought a keg with it. And I felt so guilty. But like my, my flesh, I was drugged along by my flesh. But now the difference was, I had a little bitty spirit being drugged by its heel. No, no, I will not. I was, I was, I was sitting there drinking that keg, just crying, speaking in tongues. I was, my spirit was so grieved at what I was doing, but I was still bound I had all these issues. I needed discipled. I needed to grow up. And over time, that spirit, no, 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 no. And I grabbed my finger, beat my body daily. Now I'm bragging him by the heel. Shut up. And by the way, that's what fasting is every now and then. Every now and then, you just got to show them who's boss. Oh, yeah? You know, you're, not, you're not getting any food for three days. Just to show them who's boss. But we grow up in Him, this process. And in the process, we begin to bump into our issues. That life, that seed, if you will water it with the water of the Word, if you will feed it, if you'll nurture it, if you begin to pull the weeds up, that thing will take over your garden. Give it an inch, it'll take a mile. Glory to God. But you can do it on accident and have an ugly garden. Or you can do it intentionally and have a real pretty one. The planting of the Lord. By cooperating with God and, uh, and asking, Lord, what do you want to pull up and what do you want to leave? And as we grow, we bump into these things and that's where inner healing and deliverance become necessary. And yes, I said deliverance. As a believer, you can have demonic inroads into your life that they are exercising legal right to afflict you and torment you and influence you in ways that you don't have to put up with, but you've got to deal with the legal reason that they have to be there. There are believers, they are born again, they got saved, but they're not dealing with their stuff. They, they're holding on to bitterness, and that bitterness becomes an inroad. And a lot of times that stuff lies dormant until um, the Spirit of God begins to land. Remember where... Paul was on, and the shipwrecked on the island, and it said, they're, they're making a fire, a bonfire, and it said the heat of the flame drove a serpent to the surface and latched onto Paul's hand. Listen to that. The heat of the flame drove the serpent to the surface. And you'll see that in a revival a lot of times. The fire begins to burn, and all of a sudden, people you love begin to, 
There, there's, there's things that there begin to manifest because there's legal right the enemy had to afflict them. We've got to deal with that stuff. It's not something that we need to be you know, all embarrassed about or you know, not talk about. We need to talk about these things. We need to deal with these issues in their life. There have been times as a believer I have gone through deliverance from things way back in my past I didn't even know was there, but God began to move and all of a sudden I just felt this, the fire of God come on me and I'm like, whoa, I know that was connected to that and there's something different. It's because the Lord removed something. If the, that's why Paul said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Listen to that word, a foothold. It's, it's a military term. He's saying, don't give the devil legal ground to exercise influence in your life. Because you, by your decision, by your refusal, have put out a welcome mat in front of your heart for the enemy to come and knock him. He has legal access. He, doesn't, he just can come right in. And so we have to deal with those things. And we release. We forgive. You know, we, if, if you've been involved in the occult, or, or there, you know, and, and there, there's really three basic legal inroads for the enemy. Well, let's put it this way. There's two ways the enemy operates in your life. Legal ground and intrusion. Okay? Legal ground and intrusion. Legal ground has three primary facets to it. There is unforgiveness. That, if you're praying for someone and you know that there's demonic torment going on in their life, and you don't have any leading of the Lord, go to that one. 80% of the time, you'll be right. Just go to the, unfor- the bitterness card. So, unforgiveness and occult involvement. The more overt it is, the more of a door that is opened. I remember years ago, Kathy and I were, uh, had some guests, some, some old friends of mine. Some, I call them kids. They're in their mid-40s or later 40s. Uh, but they, when, when I met them, I was their youth pastor, and they both got saved. She was a young cheerleader, and they got saved. And, and so years later, we were working at Teen Challenge. They came and visited us, and, and uh, we had a prayer meeting because we're so spiritual. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, uh, it wasn't normal for us just to have a prayer meeting at night. But I don't know if you took me serious or you think that was horrible for me to joke about. You know, but it, uh, or if it was just a bad joke. It was probably the latter. I'm used to that. But... Uh, Anyway, as we got done with the prayer meeting, and man, God just showed up. It was awesome. So we're going to our two-bedroom apartment. Two, well, no, it wasn't two bedrooms. It was two rooms. And uh, we're going to our two rooms, and they were going to their room across the hall, uh, a guest room. And she walked in the door and came out. Her face was as white as a sheet. She said, there's something in there. And she said, I've had this happen before. And the Lord spoke to me. I said, have you ever played with the Ouija board? She said, yeah, but it was just a game at a, at a slumber party. I said, we're going to deal with that. And uh, she renounced that thing and something visible, I mean, there was a visible change in her countenance. Something came off her and boom, she was baptized in the spirit right there. There was this demonic inroad that would torment her at times because that enemy had an open door he could come in and out of, in and out of. He had legal right. And if that's the, an issue in your life, all you have to do is repent and renounce and God will restore You repent of your involvement because you are looking to the kingdom of darkness. Whether consciously or unconsciously, the devil doesn't care. You touch some illegal thing and you open the door. So you repent of looking to darkness for what only God should give you. Then you renounce it. You you chose to go into it. You unchoose it. And you let that demonic spirit that you invited into your life through that action, you give him clear 
Communication. You are no longer welcome in my life. I renounce all involvement with the spirit, any spirits of darkness in Jesus' name. And then you say, God, please restore this grunt. What, is, what does scripture mean when he, it says he restoreth my soul? That's definitely part of it. He's restoring it to your ownership and your leadership that you now have to occupy that ground that the enemy just began to come in on. So there's occult, bitterness, and then sexual perversion. And the more perverted those things were, the more tendency there is for demonic inroads to be in our life. And all of them are dealt with in the same way. It's just we just repent, we renounce, and we ask God to restore. And the, the Spirit of God is more than able, and here's the really good news, more than willing to deliver us. But we've got to take this stuff very seriously. The other way is intrusion. That the enemy can intrude. It's not a legal thing that we stepped over a line. It's not something we did. It's something that was done to us. Over here we were an offender. Over here we're a, we're a victim. There are times where people have been, you know, maybe you were, uh, uh, you know, uh, sexually abused as a child. There was trauma in your life. It, it doesn't even have to be overtly uh, evil, but what happened to you, it may just have been an accident, but there's trauma, and there's times the enemy will come in and begin to use that as the on-ramp to begin to torment your mind. He'll attach himself to something like that. That can even be with a spirit of infirmity. Somebody was in, you know, some, something traumatic happened, and there's a spirit of infirmity that attaches it, to, and it lives undercover. I told you a few months ago about when, when Bill Dew was here. I was with Bill and Carol in Brazil. Probably, it was about 11 years ago now. We were in a service and Bill and Carol began to minister to this young woman who was blind. Was absolutely blind, could not see a thing. As they began to minister to her, and, and uh, Carol, who was very adept at inner healing and knew the connection often between the two, she began to ask her questions and found out that this young woman went blind immediately upon the death of her father, who she held in her arms as he was dying from someone murdering him. And as soon as he died, she went blind. Now, I'm not the sharpest guy in the room, but I think there may be a connection here. And so they led her through forgiveness, and there was a spirit of infirmity that literally robbed her of her sight, connected to her bitterness. And as she was on the front row, right during the sermon... Randy Clark was up there preaching, and right during the sermon, they're ministering to her. I was, I was in the second row right behind them, and they're just walking her through forgiveness, and she interrupts them. Ah! I can see! I can read the screen! And she begins to see. They didn't even pray for her healing in that moment. It's because there was, a, there was trauma that the enemy rode in on, and there was bitterness as well, and it latched itself onto that, and, and Carol took her through healing of trauma, and uh, renouncing that bitterness, and she was restored to her sight. So there are times where things happen to us that we need to, we need to deal with those things and invite the Lord into that situation and begin to sift through the complexity of that because Jesus is more than able. All of this is part of the discipleship process. You're walking along with Jesus and we bump into things. Sometimes we're having to deal with things from our past. Sometimes, unfortunately, we're having to deal with things in our present. Because there's other broken believers we're bumping into and doing life with. Let alone unbelievers. But sometimes it's easier to deal with them, you know. 
We, got, we, got, we hurt each other, and we've got to deal with this stuff, because if we don't, we're stuck in the process, and we'll never get to where God wants us to go. And so there's deliverance, and there's inner healing. And inner healing has to do with the woundedness in our soul, which is what I was going to preach on this morning. I had a text and everything, so we'll, we'll get to it sometime. But this dealing with the woundedness from our past. If the enemy can keep pain from a past event alive, he can leverage the, pa- the pain of a past event into present uh, frustration and future sin. The enemy will leverage the pain of your past to create frustration, unresolved a desire for relief, but it's unresolved. And this thing is churning in you and that pain. And what happens then is he lays the tracks for you to find temporary relief through some sinful outlet. And much, much of what we call addictions in today's world is simply that very thing. People trying to relieve themselves of pain that they have never really faced and dealt with. And I know... Because I have a PhD, not from a college, but life experience in being dysfunctional and doing those things. I was, I was homeless because of that very stuff. I ended up a homeless alcoholic because I wasn't dealing with life well. And rather than face it, I'd stuff it, and then I drank to, because it wanted to come back up. Here I am. You know. And so we've got to deal with those things, and we've got to face the pain. And as we face the pain, we can move on. So there's deliverance from external intrusion of the enemy that we either invite or that something that was done to us, he uses that as an end road. There's inner healing, dealing with the pain. And a lot of times those two things are very intertwined. Uh, But we're, we're dealing with pain from the past. And then the other thing, to go into discipleship, to mature, you've got to renew your mind. Because your believing determines your behaving. And you're never going to walk mature until you believe mature. You're never going to walk out the truth until you believe the truth. It's not like you're going to live really, you know, I'm a very functional, healthy person. I'm just think dysfunctionally, you know. <laughs> no. You, know, you don't see healthy, well-adjusted people that really messed up in their thinking. Because it's the same thing, you know. I mean, what, what causes us to be dysfunctional is dysfunctional thinking. And that's why Paul said, be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And so we need to be very intentional about that, not do it on accident. The sad fact is, a lot of people's mind renewal plan is this. 45 minutes, well, okay, if it's me, 50 minutes on a Sunday morning. And that's my mind renewal. Well, that's, that's great. You know, but that's, that's kind of doing it like on accident. Growing up on accident. If we're intentional, we begin to grab these things, our questions, and chew, chase them down in the Word. And chase down people that are a little farther in the Lord than us. Hey, what do I read for this? Well, I want, is there a good book on that? I want to learn. And we're crying out to God, God, I don't understand. I want to know what this means. And when you ignite that, I'm telling you, growth becomes quickly. Comes quickly. Because... God begins to grow you up because you have to know as you grow and grow as you know. And if there's no knowing, there's no growing. It's really that simple. You cannot grow beyond your knowledge. Now, you can have experiences in God that you don't yet understand. You got too many of those, you need to stop. 
Get in the Bible. And let God explain it to you so that you can grow up in your knowledge so that we know and we can grow. And so that is discipleship. Discipleship is the journey where we encounter him. His life comes to reside within us and now we cooperate with that. We're saying, yes, Lord. He brings up these troubling things and we deal with them according to his word. And we, we, we allow the Lord to process. So we're, we're moving beyond these barriers. And all the while, we're renewing our mind, thinking His thoughts. And we realize how screwed up our thinking is. And here's a newsflash. Every one of us in this room, including the guy teaching you, which is a really troubling comment, is screwed up in their thinking. Okay? We all have room to grow. And we're renewing our mind. And God is, by that, bringing that life of God within us into full fruition and manifestation. And we are in a season where God is zealously, jealously after that. And He's going to start to pull feathers out of nests. I had this strong sense yesterday, it made me almost tremble, that what was acceptable in the last season will no longer be tolerated in this one. Not because He doesn't love us, but precisely because He does. And He will not leave us where we were. And so all of us need to go lower and say, God, just deal with me. I want to grow up into all You've called me to be. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.